2: You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis and they have a look back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data.
0: For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going
1: and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck.
2: Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Josh Cole. He's the chief marketing officer at SkyZone. Sky Zone is an active environment with gravity-defying wall-to-wall aerial attractions that includes freestyle jump, ultimate dodgeball, warrior courses, warped walls, and sky fit, and much more. We talk a little bit about what those attractions are and the innovations that they're driving on the discussion today. And they have around 210 locations or parks around the, the world. Uh, they include the United States, Canada, Mexico, Guatemala, Australia, United Kingdom, Norway, Indian, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and Colombia, among others. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Josh Cole. Well, Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I'm excited to have this conversation. I'd love to start, if you wouldn't mind, just telling listeners about your background and, and where you started your career.
0: Sure. Uh, well, I originally started in financial services in marketing. I was there for a relatively short stint. I transitioned from there to Universal Studios. I made a jump to the entertainment world. and That was into the parks and resorts division, which is the theme park and themed entertainment division of Universal. And uh, I was there actually for 15 years. So it was a long, long run at Universal. I joined as a member of the first team assembled to specifically focus on internet marketing. So it was an interesting thing to get involved in. My very first, yeah, so it was a fun time to to jump into internet marketing when it was pretty new and everything was just uh, coming online, no pun intended. And it was kind of a fresh new thing to do. So I was very excited to get involved in that. So my first job there was focused on the international side. Universal had a park in Spain, which they since sold off, unfortunately, but it was outside Barcelona and was building their park in Osaka, Japan. So my first role was to you know, liaise with the marketing teams in those countries to build websites, uh, get e-commerce up and running, figure out what to do with mobile because Japan was so far ahead in that on that front. And I transitioned from there to domestic where I was focused on the theme park in Los Angeles. So it's a theme park and shopping area here in Los Angeles called Universal Studios Hollywood. And I continued, I should say, on the digital marketing front. So I was very involved in the early initiatives to get Universal Studios Hollywood up and running in the the digital space. So I have a pretty deep background on that. I was uh, the person who, um, one of my claims to fame, at least in my own mind, is I was a person who registered all of these social media accounts for Universal Studios Hollywood and then was the first person to like all of them from Facebook and uh, following YouTube and Instagram. That was fun. So very deep background in uh, digital from Universal. Also oversaw the loyalty marketing program there for about two years. And it was all going great. And then one day I got a call from a recruiter and I wound up switching based on that conversation over to SkyZone. And that was about five years ago. And that was a great opportunity for me to widen my responsibilities and oversee uh, all of marketing because at SkyZone, I'm the CMO where I get to do everything I did at Universal, everything I did and loved, plus also oversee publicity and reputation management, creative, et cetera, et cetera, all all things marketing. And uh, here we are today.
2: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I mean, going from financial services to the entertainment world sounds like a big jump, but was that a big jump in your mind, or were there other pivotal twists or turns along the way?
0: There was a big jump. On the one hand, I'm a firm believer that if you are uh, customer focused and you're curious and you're someone who's going to learn, you can jump from industry to industry. And I think sometimes we, especially in the marketing, can pigeonhole people by saying you need to be in this industry or we need people with a lot of experience in that. In- this industry, get through. We are, and I think in- it's a little bit of a mistake to do that. I was lucky because I was able to to make that change. And it was actually it was a plot twist. You mentioned you mentioned plot twist, and it was. And if you don't mind, I'd love to tell you uh, how I got there because you might be wondering like how did you go from financial services to uh, to entertainment. And uh, it kind of it's kind of a funny story. I was enjoying the financial services industry, but I felt like I wanted to do something a little more creative and always had the idea that entertainment might be fun, but I didn't really know how to get there. And I was living in New York. I grew up in the Northeast and didn't have any connections to entertainment. And one day, it was in the late nineties, I saw a job posting on monster.com, uh, which was the big site back then saying that Universal Studios was putting together its first ever internet marketing team to create websites and do e-commerce, basically figure out how to use internet to market the theme parks for the universal parks all over the world. And they are looking to hire a senior VP. Uh, I thought, my by God, that sounds amazing. So uh, what I did is I wrote a cover letter. And in it, I said, uh, just that, this sounds amazing. But I know that I'm not at the point of my career where I'm ready to be a senior VP. I was you know, in my mid-20s at the time. However, when you hire that senior VP, I'd love to be considered for the team. You mentioned that this includes the overseas parks in Japan and Spain. And I had lived in Japan for a while and at the time spoke Japanese. Unfortunately, I've since forgotten it. I, said, lived, I did a home stay in Spain. And I speak Spanish and I'm the webmaster at my current job, which is a very funny title, but it belongs in a museum. But at the time, it was something people call themselves. And I was a marketing associate at a financial services company. And one of my responsibilities was to write the newsletter. And the only thing they updated on the website at the time as a brochureware website was newsletter. So they let me manage their website content on a monthly basis, updating the newsletter. And they said, you can call yourself marketing associate and webmaster. So I got to very proudly use that term back in the nineties. The now now I should be embarrassed to be mentioning it, but it's just kind of funny when I think back. <laughs>
2: that was an important title back in the day. I mean, I, I, I'm old enough to remember that title.
0: It was, and it sounded really like, like I love the word master, like I was doing something special. It was actually a, what they called a WYSIWYG editor back then. I would like upload the newsletter to a file upload a photo, hit submit, and it just went live. It was it a was master of hitting a couple buttons, basically, but it sounded great. And so anyway, I sent that in. And I remember my dad said to me, word for word, I admire your chutzpah, but don't hold your breath. And I kind of forgot about it. And a few months later, I got a phone call. And it was a voicemail from an internal recruiter at Universal saying, you know, hi, this is Julie. And uh, I held on to your resume all these months. And we did hire that senior VP and I showed it to him and he was so impressed that you were forward thinking, we want to meet you. And they flew me out to LA. I'd never been to California before. And I talked to the senior VP, we hit it off and he hired me literally on the spot. And that one meeting met one person. He said, you're hired. When can you move out to California? And it was crazy. And I felt like I couldn't say no to that. So I took the chance and I should say, actually, he took a chance on me because I really wasn't qualified for the role, but he took the chance. And uh, I think it was it was a it worked out well because I wound up being at Universal for 15 years. And at the time, I moved out, and I had a few suitcases. I was single. And I remember I had a mountain bike that was boxed up for me, and that's all I owned. I came out here, and I, I leased a car, and I rented an apartment. I said, if all else fails, I can just like you know bring the leased car back and go back to the East Coast. And uh, 20 years later, I'm still in L.A. I own a house. I was married. I, have two, I am married. I got married. I have two kids, and uh, life just happened. So it was a huge plot twist in uh, how I got to where I am.
2: Wow. Yeah, that's a fantastic story. And I guess forward thinking in many respects for the company to recognize the initiative that you put out in the cover letter. So um, congratulations.
0: I was always very appreciative that that senior VP, uh, he and I are still friends, uh, really took a chance on me uh, because... I really wasn't qualified. Uh, they could have easily found some of the more entertainment marketing experience and certainly could have found someone from Disney with theme park experience. He just liked that. And he said to me years later, look, you got to hire for intangibles. This has always stuck with me. You got to hire for intangible. You got to find someone who's smart and who is curious and who's got just the right personality is going to you know dig in. And they might, they might be behind the person with more specific experience for the first few months, but by month four or five, they're going to catch up. They're going to pass them. So hire for intangibles. And that was his philosophy. And that's why he hired me. And uh, I've always kept that in mind. I think I mentioned that earlier in the podcast that that's one reason why I don't ever want to stymie a job applicant for being in an X industry or Y industry. Just want to hire the, uh, the best athlete available, so to speak. That's
2: great. That's great. Let's talk about SkyZone. Would you mind describing it for listeners? Because we've got listeners all around the world. and You may not have a SkyZone there yet. And where the business is today?
0: Sure. So SkyZone started in 2004. And at that time, the founders of the company opened the first indoor trampoline park that existed in the entire world. So it was a, a totally, completely novel concept. And they opened it up almost on a whim and didn't know what would happen. And it went gangbusters. And essentially what it was, was a, a venue with wall-to-wall trampolines. Even the walls were, were trampolines. So you could kind of jump off the walls, literally. And they had dodgeball courts to play a trampoline dodgeball on, which is an absolute blast. If you haven't played it yet, I really recommend it. They had basketball hoops to dunk on, which is great for most of us who can't really dunk on a real hoop. And you can with a trampoline under you. So uh, it went really well. They were able to expand based on how much uh, fun it was. In recent years, in addition to the trampolines, we've added a lot of new attractions. In the themed entertainment world, it's important, whether you're Disney or Universal or or Sky Zone, to continue to innovate and add new attractions so guests want to come back and do something and can do something different. So in the recent years, we've added a lot of actually non trampoline based attractions like a Ninja Warrior course. We can challenge yourself to get across a really cool obstacle course like the things you see on TV, uh, climbing walls and zip lines that drop into foam pits and things like that. So we've grown beyond being just a trampoline park, but our core and our roots are a trampoline park, but we're more, but we're that and more. And regardless of what attraction you're playing on, the commonality is active place. So we like to think of our core product as being active, active play. So you're out, you're playing, you're getting some exercise, and that is really super important for everybody. And so that's something that we really hold dear to our hearts, which is how important that is for all people. For kids, we know from research that active play is crucial for development uh, and for wellness. So not only physical wellness, which is obvious, but also mental wellness and uh, you know social development. And The great thing for the kids is they come to the parks and they're having so much fun, they don't even realize it's uh, exercise or just enjoy themselves. We call that sneaky sweat because you don't realize that you're actually getting a crazy good workout. And that's really important for Adults too so that being active play active play is really important for adults too and one key reason is stress relief so when you're jumping on a trampoline and you're flying midair all you're thinking about is the fact that you're up in the air and you feel so free and that you're about to land you're gonna bounce again And at that moment in time you you simply cannot think about your work emails pressure from work or your boss or anything else in your life that's giving you stress it's out of your mind so it's a really freeing activity and for that reason a lot of the adults that come to the park also talk about how much they just love the experience. And one of the things that we see often in social media that is so great to see is picture of an adult doing something goofy with a smile ear to ear and the post will be, I feel like a kid again. I went to Sky Zone and I... I Felt like I was 12. And that's great because that, that captures the emotion and the wonderful freeing powers of uh, being involved in active play and doing some, something so much fun like that, so freeing. So, today, based on that, we've been able to expand quite a bit. So, when I joined Skyzone, had 81 parks in the US, Canada, Australia, and in, in a few countries. And today, we're up to uh, about 210 around the world. And we've expanded into quite a few other countries Saudi Arabia, other areas of the Middle East, Guatemala, Colombia. India, I think I mentioned, and beyond. So we've been growing quite a bit. And that last point, which i will end on, is international growth. We see that to be a really great opportunity for us. So we envision quite a bit more international growth coming up in the next few years.
2: Well, and if I've got this right, I think Sky Zone was one of the first, if not the first trampoline park. And it sounds like you've added a lot of a lot of other things besides the trampoline itself, like the ninja warrior courses you talked about and, and other aspects t- to the actual environment. But how do you think about continuing to differentiate in, the, in an environment?
0: Yeah, that is a, a really important question because when we opened up those first parks, we were all alone. Today, that is no longer the case. So differentiation is is really important. It's something that we have thought about a lot and continue to think about. We remain the category leader by quite a wide margin in terms of the size of our, the number of parks we have, uh, but also in terms of measured brand awareness, we are ahead of competitors, but we have competitors and we always want to stay ahead. So broadly speaking, we can differentiate through I think think two different avenues. One is the in-park experience, what guests, we call them guests, our visitors, experience when they step into a sky zone. And then we can differentiate through brand marketing. And we have different initiatives to capitalize on those two different channels of differentiation. So inside the park are those attractions that we've talked about. The the Ninja courses really are a great example because they're so popular and so successful. So we want to put them in and we we do, and we put in the best quality ones in the industry. And we have a team, internal team, that is constantly tinkering. uh, We call them our skunk works, tinkering with new attraction ideas, building things on their own or sourcing from vendors and tweaking them. And we're constantly testing new attractions inside the parks and rolling that out. And then also inside the parks is a guest experience. When you're in the experience business, again, whether it's Disney or Universal or SkyZone, it's super important to deliver excellent customer experience. So there's a common phrase these days, you hear customer experience or CX, uh, we call it GX at SkyZone since we uh, we call our customers guests. So our our GX is really important for us. So we do a lot of research on an ongoing basis and um, customer insights type of research to understand what really matters to the customers and why do they like us and what do we do that's of value to them. And then we're constantly trying to learn from that and act on it. So we know the more that we can be insights-driven in terms of delivering a great guest experience, the more we'll differentiate ourselves from our competitors. And one simple reason is that we simply have, as the biggest, we have more resources and we'd like to think that we can do more, gather more insights and just do more types of customer studies. And the other guys can, so we can be be and should be a little smarter than them, uh, or at least a step ahead. And then the last part is uh, branding. I mentioned that the in-park experience, then you have the branding. So we know that we have the highest awareness, but awareness doesn't mean anything unless that turns into actual visits. So what we know from, that, from some of that research I mentioned is that the emotional connection really does matter. And that one of the reasons guests will choose SkyZone versus a different competitor, in fact, a competitor that might even be closer to their house, is the emotional connection. So we know, for example, within emotional connection, that cultural relevance is really important to our guests. So my understanding of that, reading through the research, is that it's important for our guests to go to a venue that they, they recognize a name, maybe they snap a picture and put it on Instagram or Facebook, that venue means something to their, their audience. So they're at some place that has some cultural value or, or resonance. So we do quite a bit on the brand marketing front to make sure that we're always building up that type of relevance in a cultural sense. So we'll work with influencers who have really big followings, following, excuse me, within our core audiences. And because uh, I say core audiences, because we have both the, the kids and the parents. Kids love to jump, and the parents tend to be the ones who make the decision and uh, hold the purses. We do brand partnerships, and one thing we've done quite a bit of, and we're proud of our TV and movie integration. So we had really cool scenes in the movie Bad Mom's Christmas and Bachelorette uh, filmed a scene with a, a group date at, at Sky Zone here in LA and we've got, uh, had content on ESPN recently. There was a really fun scene from HBO show called The Righteous Gemstones, which was filmed at Sky Zone and they show the cast and the characters in the show, I should say, jumping at Sky Zone and having a blast. Um, so we love doing stuff like that because it, it shows our brand in motion We're a brand, an experience that plays really well to video, of course, because we're an active brand. And it shows in the context of a a program that the audience has decided they want to see. So it weaves it into content they're making a conscious decision to see. And in a world where you can skip and avoid any content you want, it's really extra important to get your your story, your brand story into content like that, where people are voluntarily watching it and are enjoying it. So uh, we've done a lot of that to differentiate ourselves.
2: Yeah, no, I I think that's hugely smart, uh, especially like you just described in a in a world where people skip ads, they're not skipping the program, <laughs> so. If you're embedded in that, that's a very smart play. So, well, cool. Obviously, TV integrations and and influencer marketing is, is part of marketing at SkyZone. What, what else does marketing, you know, what does the totality, if you will, of marketing look like?
0: Another great question. Totality is pretty wide because we do some high-level brand building, but we also have to execute at the local level. And so the way I think about it is this. My team and I focus on three areas, which are, one, that high-level brand building. Uh, top of funnel. We want to make sure that we're always the, the most uh, known and the most loved brand in the industry. Two, we focus on promotional marketing, so promotional calendar. So throughout the year, in a given month, we have a promotion or an event, something happening inside the park. So we do a lot of specific, very targeted marketing to make sure that the elements of the promotional calendar are known by our target audience. And hopefully, hopefully they act upon it in that area. I'll, I'll pause there for a second because it could be of interest to uh, to you and, and a lot of your listeners. Is is this that I consider us at Skyzone to be really lucky because we have some data points and a breadth of data that is really en- enviable, really to put it for that way. When guests come to our park, they fill out they're required to fill out a waiver. And on that waiver, there is a lot of information. So it was done for a purpose, which was not marketing per se, but now that the data is available, it allows us to do some really cool and interesting marketing, whether that is very precise targeting of ads. It's also a way that we can track how well ads are working because someone clicks on an ad or sees an ad, then we can see if it winds up in resulting in a waiver, which means it came to the park. And then we can optimize our ads based on those results. So we do some pretty fun and sophisticated targeted marketing to really support those promotional calendar elements that I was mentioning. And then the third item to complement the brand building and promotional marketing is local marketing. So all of our franchise owners, we call them franchise partners in the Sky Zone world, all of our franchise partners market within their local areas or local territories. Uh, There are other franchise models that do a lot more of the marketing on a national level. In our world, and just based on our product and the type of marketing we need to do, We have quite a bit of marketing happening at the local level by the franchise partners working with with agencies. A lot of it's digital, but uh, they also do out of home and so forth. So what my team does is to create tools and resources. Resources can be creative assets, guidebooks. We've gathered guest practices and we write them up in a way that's easy to read and actionable and distribute them out to the network. So providing that type of guidance is a hugely important part of what we do. So another way to look at it is I see, that I see this as a level one, two, and three. And the highest level is the brand building, the middle level is the promotional marketing. And then sort of the bottom level, but closest to the consumer is that local marketing and what can we do to make the local marketers more effective. That's awesome.
2: Especially love the fact that most people would take a disclaimer, a liability form, right? And the information that you collect on that, and it would just be put in a vault and and never potentially used. And the fact that you've turned that into a marketing opportunity and a customer database, frankly, with rich, correct data to use and to to help people find their way through the SkyZone system is awesome. So congrats. Most people would be envious of a of, of data
0: like that, you know? I was when I got there and I realized what we had. So this is a treasure trove of data. And it's remarkable. I mean, at Universal, at the time I was there, we were always trying to find ways to capture email addresses. And we went through numerous programs and attempts and incentives to get the email address. Sometimes we incentivize the cashiers, the ticket windows to try to capture email addresses. Sometimes we try to incentivize the consumers. Sometimes we try to incentivize both. It was very hard to capture email addresses and there was no natural reason for them to give us the email address, those who showed up to the park not having bought online. But at SkyZone, it's different. So there is a point of capture and that allows us to do great things. And, And look, I look at it two ways. As a consumer, you think, oh, as a private citizen, excuse me, you look at it as, oh my God, there's a lot of data out there. It's kind of scary. But as a marketer, you love it. And the way I try to meld those two things in my mind is that if we can target the message more precisely, advertising is more relevant and therefore uh, won't be as annoying to the consumer. So, for example, we try really hard to make sure that Alan, you're a parent, we understand. So if you visit a Sky Zone, we want to send you an advertisement about birthday parties for kids because that's a big part of our business. But we know that for 10 months of the year, you don't want to hear about birthday parties at Sky Zone because you're not thinking about your kid's birthday. But for the let's call it. Eight weeks ahead of your child's birthday party, you're trying to think, okay, what are we going to do? I got to create a list of ideas. We got to plan something, and then maybe four weeks out, you really got to act on it. So for those, let's call it six to eight weeks, it's a really germane message to you. So if we can be smart and use that data to get that message to you at that time, but not bother you with that message the rest of the year, we have created better advertising that not only would be more effective, but it'll be less annoying to use a consumer. So that's how I see it is that is that we can help on both sides.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I mean, I, most, most marketers that we've had talking about data on this show, I mean, it's really, at the end of the day, it's about providing value in exchange for the data that they're giving you. So if you're providing them a helpful, helpful guide, a helpful tip on, you know, potential birthday celebration option for them. And it is in that time window, right? That you're likely thinking about it, scrambling to figure out where the birthday party is going to be. That's providing value. So I love, I love how you've, being able to use it, and you know, most retail experience type establishments would kill for that data, like you said. So, you talked about the model, that it, and it is a franchise model, and that you've 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 got this brand marketing and local marketing activities that are going on, and things at the local level where you're providing toolkits and guidebooks and things like that. It sounds like you've got a pretty good system, but I've always found that franchise models, while they're great because it creates local ownership and there's a, a customization at the local level that can be done much more appropriately because you got owner, you know, so, so unquote, quote unquote, and not unquote owners in the system. It also can.
1: A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend.
2: Be difficult to move the move the ship, right? And or it presents other challenges. Um, and so I'm just curious where you fall out on that. I mean, it sounds like you've got a good system, but have there been any challenges or, or opportunities that you didn't think were going to exist that that came
0: about? Yes, challenges and opportunities. We've had uh, plenty, plenty of both. Skyzone is about ninety percent franchised and. owned and operated, roughly speaking. So a lot of the work that we do is with and and through and in partnership with the franchisees, which is exactly why we call them franchise partners. And on the business side, probably really obvious uh, to say, franchising is great for business expansion because you have other people who are able to uh, use their financial resources to secure leases and uh, own a business, and you can expand really rapidly. And that's a great opportunity. And on the marketing side, to me, what I think is the greatest opportunity is that you have a whole army of people thinking differently and thinking on their own. And that generates a lot of ideas and best practices. I think that if you're in a retail or multi-unit business, which is GM driven, you're going to get good ideas from the field, as it's called. The GMs are thinking about how to do things differently. But at the same time, GMs tend to toe the line a little more in the owned and operated world because they're taking their orders from somebody who's taking their orders, so to speak, from the headquarters. And there's the way to do things. You're going to do it. Franchisees are much more independent. And this is across any franchise network based on my conversations with people from a variety of different franchise businesses. Franchisees tend to be independent, tend to be more entrepreneurial minded, and they pride themselves on doing things kind of their own way. That causes its own challenges in terms of brand integrity. And how do you maintain that? So you need to have the right systems in place. But the wonderful thing is you have people out there, an army of people who are more likely to be doing things slightly differently or tweaking things or coming up with their own ideas. And so part of our mission is to make sure that we're uncovering those really good ideas and best practices and benchmarking them, making sure that the results are as good as a franchise partner is telling us, and then spreading that around to the network so that other franchise partners can take advantage of it. And some of the best ideas that we've had Uh, whether it's outside of marketing or inside of marketing, have and will continue to come from the GMs and the franchise partners. So we want to make sure we give credit to the franchise partner who came up with it. And we do, and they love that. But by and large, our network is very collaborative and they're happy to share. So um, that best practice sharing is a real real benefit to the franchise network. So we try to do as much of that as possible. At the same time, obviously, there's some challenges. Look, in the world that we're in, we're asking our franchise partners to do some of that local marketing I was mentioning. And in today's world, Marketing is complicated and digital marketing is complicated and some of them will hire a really good local agency and some of them will try to do it on their own. So we need to be there for them, provide the resources so that they can be as effective as possible. I like to remind them that the importance of building a brand is that the better and bigger and more recognizable and loved your brand is, the more likely that an ad is going to be viewed and people are going to stop to look at it and might actually act on it. So I always remind them that we're building a brand to help their local marketing be more effective. So this is a, a true partnership. So that, that's part of the interplay between national and local. And I think the last thing I would say, uh, if you don't mind me going off one, one more moment, yeah, is that, yeah. thank you. I personally have gained a lot from being in the franchise network because you have to influence and persuade a lot more than you would in the owned and operated world, as I was alluding to a moment ago. A lot of times we'll find a best practice. We say, oh my God, this is great. It's working in this park over here, these two. Let's get the whole network to do it. And some of the franchise partners will say, great, I'm on it. Just give me the creative assets. I'll do it tomorrow. Another one say, I don't believe it. You know, I really want more data. You got to prove it to me. And here's why I don't think it's going to work. So we are constantly creating these best practices, but also supporting them with the the how-tos and the whys. And we spend a lot of our time with that type of persuasion. You can't really always tell them, go do this, go do that. You can for really important things, If you don't want to do that all the time. You want to get them to come along for the ride willingly and enthusiastically. So you need to tell the story and persuade through data, through quotes from the other franchise partners, from sales results. So it takes a lot more time and effort to move the ship along in that type of a, a method versus a command and control. But at the same time, it's taught me personally a lot about how to persuade and trust me like one example was when we want to change the brand we uh, brand through a brand evolution we created a new brand book and we created these images that looked great and we modernized the brand and i thought everyone was going to just stand up from the chairs and clap for us at the, the national conference and instead they're like whoa wait a minute this is you're changing what we know and love and we bought into the network it looked like this now you tell me it's gonna look like that and by the way, do I have to pay for new signs in my park? And how much is it going to cost me? So what I expected was this great enthusiasm. And it was actually a lot of uh, concern and skepticism, not like don't do it, but wait, let's talk about this. So that was a great uh, lesson for me when I first started. And ever since then, I've approached the selling of a new idea uh, much more methodically and better. And I'm better prepared when I have those conversations. I think that will serve me well wherever uh, my career takes me. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I mean, I, franchise people that deal with franchise system, or even
2: even systems that have lots and lots of employees. You think of like a retail establishment or, or something like that. I like to think of those marketers as battle tested. <laughs> the, the suggestions and things coming out of your mouth next, you know the implications of it because you've been there
0: and you've experienced the live fire on the other end. <laughs> so, yeah, my so. uh, my body armor is not unscathed. Right, <laughs> I, I continue marching downfield, but I've certainly taken my hit and I have my bruises from some of those skirmishes. And battle test is a great way to to look at it because you have to get in there and do battle just to get your idea heard sometimes versus, you know, Universal, it was owned and operated. And the situation was this, sometimes marketing operations didn't agree on how to execute a program. And if you couldn't work it out, you go to, you know, I would go to my boss who's the head of marketing and sales and the operator, maybe the VP of operation would go to his or her boss. And if they too couldn't work it out, they'd go to the president. President would listen to both sides. His name was Larry. He was there for a lot of years. We called Larry Court. Larry would sit there with his uh, imaginary gavel. you would hear the two sides and say, I agree with operations or I agree with marketing or I agree with half of that and half of that and go do that. And then everyone left the room and went and did it because he you had your marching orders and you had to get in line. And uh, when Larry made his decision, you went. That doesn't happen in most franchise networks in that type of manner. Certainly not in the Sky Zone 1. We're much more collaborative and take a lot of inputs. And uh, that gavel only exists in the most extreme cases when we really need to use it. Otherwise, you just want to persuade it in a different, more collaborative uh, manner.
2: No, yeah, I 100 agree. That's awesome. I know you mentioned brand partnerships earlier, and I want to come back to that because I know in our last conversation you mentioned one. I'd love to get you to talk about it and you know why brand partnerships maybe make sense for Skyzone. But I think the partnership is with Carnival Cruise Lines, and I don't know if you could tell us a little bit about that, like what you guys are doing together.
0: Yes, thank you for noticing the Carnival Cruise partnership. We are super excited about it. It's been a wonderful partnership. I'm sure it will continue to be. So. Carnival has a new ship that's about to uh, set sail, actually uh, in December 2019, based out of Long Beach. It's called the Carnival Panorama. And what's interesting about Long Beach is that I believe all their other ships are based in Miami or somewhere in Florida, and none of them are currently based in uh, California or on the West Coast, and that's about to change. So the Panorama will be based out of uh, Long Beach. And Carnival has wanted to get out there and tell the world that for the first time in a long time, folks on the West Coast don't have to travel to Florida to get onto one of their cruise ships. And for us, what's awesome about it is that we are on that cruise ship. So we are launching the first, what we call Sky Zone at Sea. So for the guests on the panorama, along with all the other fun things they'll be able to do, they'll have the option of jumping at a Sky Zone. So whether that's someone who knows about Sky Zone from previous visits or it'll be their first chance to see a Sky Zone and and, and experience some of our version of active play, it's just a great opportunity for us. And what's been really exciting about this is that the Carnival team has been very open to and uh, been very quick to come up with some really great ways for us to partner to help spread the word about the ship and about the Sky Zone at sea. And because of that, we've done at least two or three really fun, unique activations, which I'd love to tell you about. One of them was a great idea that they had is that they created a float for the Rose Parade this past January, January 19, as a way to help introduce the fact that they're coming to California, since obviously the Rose Parade is uh, held every year in Pasadena. And they said to us, it'd be really cool if we had people jumping on there on top of this float as it goes along the parade route in Pasadena. Can you guys figure out a way to get a trampoline on top? And we have that team that I mentioned to you that's always tinkering and creating new attractions. And they said, that sounds like a heck of a challenge because those floats are pretty complicated and they have like a million rows pedaled on them and all type of really specific requirements. And you probably heard, read about that or heard about that. So you have to stay within those requirements to be authorized to be in the, in the parade. So we figured it out, or, or our team figured it out. And so on that float, which was shaped just like this guy's own panorama, we had two of our team members who were good at jumping and flipping on the top of the float on a co-branded Sky Zone and Carnival trampoline doing tricks the entire parade route, which was awesome. And you can imagine the media attention was really great. So there's a lot of uh, interviews and reporters checking out ships, uh, sorry, uh, the floats before the parade starts. And we got a lot of coverage of ours because we had reporters jumping on the trampoline and just something that would never been done before. So that was one thing we did with them. And um, we also did a, a local activation at one of the bigger shopping centers in LA called The Grove, where we partnered with them and Amazon. Amazon brought their treasure truck with deals for shoppers. Uh, Parked it right in the middle of the grove on a a grassy knoll, uh, right in front of Nordstrom's at a very prominent spot. And Carnival brought Shaquille O'Neal, who is their, the very funny term, they called him their CFO, the chief fund officer. And we brought a mobile... Installation that had an air track that you can jump on like a trampoline and some hoops and some other things you could do, but the hoops were there for a reason, which is that we pulled shoppers out of the a tra- foot traffic, so who could dunk well, and had a Sky Zone hosted dunk contest with Shaquille O'Neal as a celebrity judge. And you can imagine the amount of attention that Shaquille O'Neal gets in the middle of a, a shopping center, busy shopping center on a Saturday in Los Angeles. So it was awesome. A lot of media of attention and uh, articles written about it. It's been a great partnership. And actually, going back to the media part. Something that I've really taken note of through this partnership is that Skyzone has always gotten a lot of publicity, uh, probably a lot more than you would think for a company of our size. I guess because it's a novel idea and we get a lot of interest of journal- from journalists to want to come and jump and have fun. So we've always been a bit of a media darling, so to speak. But what I've really noticed here is that the publicity that we've generated alongside Carnival, it has been quite substantial, has generated a level of conversation that I've never seen in any other Story. So, for example, after the Shaquille O'Neal thing, I had a bunch of people say, "Hey, did you guys do something with Shaq?" And you know, I I saw something on the news, and uh, yeah, because it's Shaq, so of course you notice him. And recently there was some publicity that came out about the, the boat taking off and I got like no shirt, no few than three or four emails and a, and a call from somebody who I used to work with at Universal saying hey I saw the publicity and that sounds awesome it's amazing and one of the emails said I think I'm going to take a look at that cruise it sounds like so much fun so a uh, point being that it, it's been a publicity hook that's generated not just stories but conversation and I, I've come to realize like that's the best type of publicity of all is when the stories have a life of their own or take on a life of their own and, and cause folks to generate conversation about it so it's been a really great great partnership with them. And we'll continue to work with them and look for other things along those lines that we can do.
2: That's awesome. Well, congrats on all the success. One of the things I love to do is get to know the person behind all the work that gets done. And um, I love asking this question, which is, you know, is there an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today?
0: That is a good question. On a personal front, I would say I traveled a lot. So I dedicated the majority of my 20s to traveling and uh, put myself into some uh, situations where I really had to think on my feet living overseas. And uh, I really learned a lot about uh, different perspectives and uh, probably profoundly changed me as a person from spending as much time as I did traveling and living overseas. And that's really on, on the personal front. On the professional front, I would say, Going back to that job I had at Universal when I first started, there was no roadmap for digital. I was part of that first internet marketing team for the theme parks and the folks that were hired as a small team were tasked with figuring out how do you take this thing called the internet that looks like it's going to stick around, but we're not 100% sure and try to use it to build our business. And there was no roadmap. And the senior executives there at the time really had no idea if it was something that really was going to matter to the business or just we should be dabbling in it. And in as much, there really wasn't a lot of attention put towards it, and we weren't given a lot of resources. So there was no roadmap. Now, I looked at that as an opportunity to um, make myself super useful, basically. So I, and I was single at the time, and I had a lot more free time in my hands than I do now as a working parent. And I dedicated a lot of that free time to simply learning as much as I could about what was happening in the world of the internet. And this is going to date myself to late 90s when the world was just very different in terms of the knowledge that was available and, the, and where the internet was in its evolution. So I signed up for every newsletter I could find. I bought books, as boring as that might sound. I would sit down and read plowed through every book I could about user experience and pretty early thoughts on that at the time. But I learned where I could, and I just made myself an expert. And That really paid off well for me. So I wound up finding myself in a position where very senior executives of the company, it was a fairly hierarchical company where sort of presidents talked to senior VPs and EVPs and EVPs talked to SVPs and SVPs talked to VPs and the managers really weren't involved in conversation. And I started as an assistant manager. I found myself in meetings where everyone else was an SVP or above and I was just there quiet and I was there to not speak until I was asked a question. And whenever a question came about on the internet, I was the guy they asked and I provided an answer. And that came from me just learning as much as I could and just sharing the information. So that was a really great experience for me, I guess, both in terms of figuring out what the roadmap was and how to use the internet, but also in terms of really understanding the, the power of what I did, it was just uh, flexing my curiosity muscles. And that got me into a lot of meetings I otherwise wouldn't have been in and got me exposed to a lot of these executives I otherwise wouldn't have been exposed to. So yeah, so that really kind of shaped my perspective on, on work and also how to, how to approach problems.
2: What advice would you give to your younger self if you're starting all over?
0: Anything come to mind? I think this is, this is really important advice, I guess for anybody, but I certainly would give myself is that during those years at Universal, I had some amazing bosses and I had some not amazing bosses. And I think some of those not amazing bosses, I say that because they didn't really have my best interest at heart and I didn't realize it at the time. And I think I as would, would tell my younger self to be a lot more, a lot pickier, a lot more careful about who I'm working for. If I tell myself that if I am working for a boss who doesn't really have my best interests at heart, figure it out faster and try to get myself to a different team or if I have to a different company. But I stuck it out, I think, in situations where my best interests weren't really uh, at the forefront of the boss's minds. So not to go negative here, but I think that's really, for me, probably the thing that I would want to change in my career is figuring that out and understanding that quicker. I might've been pretty naive, thinking that people always had my best interests at heart when they didn't. But to turn it to a positive side, I actually really took, that have taken that lesson to heart. And I vow to never be that person for anyone who reports to me. So it's really important to me to truly try my best to develop my team members, provide them opportunities to grow, but just care about them as people. Understand like, where do you want to go? And what do you want to do? And uh, what matters to you? And what do you want to learn? And do my best, certainly can't do everything, but do my best to make those opportunities available for them, make learning opportunities available. And really simply just know who they are as people and try to help them be more successful, not only in their jobs, but in their lives. And in my current situation, I have a lot of folks on my team, super talented, amazing, amazing people, amazingly intelligent, who by and large relatively young. So I have an opportunity now as the, the guy with gray hair in the room to give them some pointers and tips. And I do that really thinking about the fact that I wish that's how I always had been treated. Sometimes I was, and sometimes I wasn't, but how I wish I always had been treated and thus how I will always try to treat them.
2: Love it. love that advice. Two more marketing questions for you. First, marketers tend to be kind of students of what's going on around them. And I'm curious if there's any brands that you follow or you think other people should take notice of.
0: Yeah, I... I agree with completely. I mean, I think as marketers, we need to have our eyes and ears open at all time. I love driving around downtown LA. There's a lot of really cool out-of-home posters, some of which are put up legally, some of which might be more sort of a guerrilla style, but I look at all of it. And uh, sometimes I, I'm, told, I'm a distracted driver looking at it. Uh, sometimes I get my phone out and take pictures of billboards when I'm driving by. But I think the point is that we need to always be open to seeing what other people are doing and not just in the marketing world, but putting ourselves in situations where we're just seeing different types of design, whether that that's going to a museum but to, or just traveling and being in a different place and seeing. So yes, the, the active observation is super important for being a good marketer. But in terms of brands specifically, I really, frankly, like Starbucks. Funny enough, I'm not, a, I'm not a huge lover of their coffee, but I'm a huge lover of what they do for marketing, whether that's the app and the payment to the design of their cups. I really think they do a great job. I think they get a lot of credit, but I don't know if they get as much credit for all the great things that they do as they deserve. They're really solid. And then also, I like to look at brands that have a really rabid following where people are really passionate about it. One that comes to mind a lot these days, people reference Patagonia. They've spent years building up their, their credentials and their the knowledge that they care about the environment and all the environmental causes they support. And, you know, they are ahead of the curve in that regard, and now the world's caught up to them. And they're they're in a great spot. But even like a brand like a Lululemon, you know, some people love them, some people hate them. But for those people who love them, really love them, I see a lot of women walking around LA and more men too now. But head to toe Lululemon. So I like to look at brands like that that have that type of following and try to figure out what is it that has generated that following, and uh, we can learn a lot from it. And uh, if I may, my observation at least in looking at brands like that, something that struck me is that when they have a brand purpose or mission, you see it. From top to bottom, like Lulu, I mean, you walk into that store, the sales associates or the team members, whatever they call them, really love the brand. And when they talk about it and they're showing you the clothing, it comes out, the knowledge level is high, they can answer the questions, they are excited that you're there. I mean, they do a great job on that front. The stuff they have up in the stores, just top to bottom, you understand who they are and what they stand for. You might like it, you might not, but they're delivering that message very consistently. So I think when you look at brands, that Generate that type of loyalty. They are not just good at one thing or one part of their experience, but they are good at. They take what they do and they're good at it from start to finish.
2: No, I agree. I agree. Well, last question for you. I know we're potentially short on time. What do you see as the future for marketing, or do you want to go in another direction? What do you feel like is the biggest opportunity for marketers? Maybe one and the same. I don't know.
0: Yeah, maybe. You know, I think. I wish. I, I wish I had that crystal ball. <laughs> what I do know is that with Netflix and streaming services and ad skipping ability, that there are simply fewer advertising opportunities out there, paid advertising. I don't think advertising is any less effective than it was in the past, but I just think there are less opportunities or continue to be less opportunities. So I think that the future of marketing to a large extent is figuring out either n- new ways or different ways for companies to get their messages across when it, the ads aren't there. An easy thing to do is do an ad buy. Uh, a harder thing to do is to get that message out across through, frankly, through publicity. So you have to get reporters uh, interested, or journalists interested, or the type of brand integrations that we were talking about before that we've started doing quite a bit of for SkyZone. Things like that, Doing getting your product into a TV show is not new. Clearly, that's been around since the start of television with uh, sponsored programming. But I think there's more value in that now because while there always was value, there's more value now simply because it's not surrounded by commercials. So I think marketers are going to have to be smarter about ways that they get their message in front of guests as ads as ads disappear, yeah. So I think that's a lot of where what we need to do as marketers going forward.
2: No, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think I mentioned this on an, another episode. I don't know if it's actually released yet, and I can't remember which one. But we were kind of hitting on the same issue. And um, I've been really thinking hard about if you think about culture, right—the things that people in real life want to consume and interact with, and play with, and participate in. And you've got commerce on the other side, and that creativity that links those two things. I think you're hitting on it. How do we link? whatever it is that we want them to transact with on the commerce side into the culture that they want to interact with in a very natural,
0: seamless way. Yeah, they want to. And also your guard is down. I mean, if you're watching a show like Righteous Gemstones, we were just on, you're watching it for a reason, which you enjoy. It's a funny show and you're there in enjoyment mode. So you're taking in information. And as we go through our lives these days, we're bombarded with messaging and emails and Text messages and my, my email constantly, my computer's constantly beeping because another email comes in. It's very distracting. But there's certain times of day when you, you kind of put that aside and you hope. Fully people are putting that stuff aside and just enjoying a moment. And you're much more receptive to the messages in that moment because you're thinking about them. And I think that the integration of the brand into those moments is, one, needed because you have less commercial space, as we were saying. But also, it's more poignant because people might actually pay attention and think about it a little more. Or even without thinking about it, at least it makes an Im- more of an impression in their mind. So, yeah, totally agree with you. Well, Josh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. This was great. We were short of time. That was completely my fault. So thank you for indulging me with some pretty long answers. I love talking about marketing. This has been great. Thank you again.
2: Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today.